All right, Steve, we are back with another episode of the Work Week After Hours. Welcome back, buddy. Happy New Year. I think uh, I think we should just call out the fact that 21 did not knock us down. We're still here. It's That's 22. Right. We are still standing, brother. We got a smile on our face too, uh, and I think, and I think that goes that kind of leads into the episode, right? Like, you know, what, what, um, you know, I personally don't like um, resolutions, right? I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm probably, I guess, because of my journey through life, um, you get hardened to a lot of things, and I, I recently make a made a post, I think, on my personal page recently about like, you know, bad shit's still gonna happen, you know. We're going to lose people. We're going to be disappointed. All these things are going to happen. It's still going to take hard work to like, like all this is true, no matter what year, no matter what resolution, no matter what cool saying we trick ourselves into thinking that somehow going to get it. So what we got to do is wake up. We got to be present. We got to go. And um, I know you're pumped. um, And I talk about a smiling. I know you're pumped about coming into, we've got a lot of stuff working. We got a lot of stuff going on. We got a lot of really cool stuff that we can't even talk about yet that we're working on. Yeah. That that leads us into this. I know a lot of people are stressed out about the future of work. I yeah. think because we have access to so much data and we're talking to so many different people, you and I are very optimistic about it. Yeah. Well, let's let's unwrap that a little bit because I'm very optimistic because and and again, we're coming here, we're coming live. It's still dark. It is still unknown and there's still a lot of moving parts and you and I were sharing off air things in our own personal lives with kids and schools and so forth that are frustrating us. But here's the thing that gets me most excited. And we'll start macro and then we can go. There's so many micro pieces to unravel. We're going to, we got a few episodes on thinking about this year, thinking about what's in front of us. We have, we have the most receptivity right now to change in all parts of work life that we've ever had education. And let's, I'm excited because I think people are going to start to see, huh, we've been holding our breath. We've been waiting for things to go back. We are now pretty sure won't. And so let's play for an uncertain future and play for winning and trying to thrive in new ways uh, with different possibilities. And that I'm really encouraged because I, I got to tell you all the clients that, I, that I'm talking to, they're starting to see, okay, now we need to make decisions. We need to start acting. We can't keep waiting anymore. So it's a great landscape of fer- fertility, if you will, yep. of opportunity uh, as we go into 2022. And yeah, we're we're like you said, the one size fits all mentality. I think is gonna rest in peace. You know that everyone's got to be this, or everyone's got to be in the office, or everyone's got to be remote. I think it's over. Like the, the trend is all of the above is probably how we're going to be working going forward, all kinds of ways in different capacities. And that's terrifying, exciting at the same time. Yep. So, so, so many, we've talked, we've talked a lot about this. So many people have modeled what they do and I mean, big businesses do it, I guess, but a lot more of the meat on the bone, if you will, the medium to small businesses, which make up a majority of the the workplaces historically they have followed models that have quote unquote been successful with bigger more powerful more successful more financially profitable companies mm-hmm. I, I know you talked a lot about it in 2021 I, I guess my first question to you is do you still see 
do you see 2020 2022 being more of a year of experimentation in that if we're not going to one size fits all that kind of fits into the mold of we have to just try things right mm -hmm. yeah it's I think we all want to um, make a decision that's going to bring more normalcy and more predictability to our future. And this is the frustrating part. I, I would like that. I would like to tell you it's possible, but I'm here to tell you we are in for a messy, at least six to nine months, probably a year of experimenting. But I, what I'm starting to see, Shane, is I think people are experimenting more with confidence now. I mean, in a way, that's what a startup is. You're just experimenting all the time. And that's why we've talked in earlier episodes. We have more people going to startups. We have more people founding startups than we've since we've ever been measuring it. And that's spreading beyond just the United States. One of the most amazing statistics that I came across the last week of, and I love this week as a reader of all the stuff that happened last year, stuff people think are going to happen this year, just chock full of really interesting things. Business Insider had this one story which I need to almost do like a whole separate episode uh, or post around, which is there were something close to 560 companies that hit unicorn status this year, right? You saw the article? Yes. 560. Yes. In 2021, in 2020, there were 70. <laughs> 70. Now, it could have been because investors hit the brakes. There's a lot of other factors that go, or many factors that go into unicorn. One of them is you know, valuation that comes from investors and comes from optimism of the market. 20 was also an election year, right? So there's lots of things that are in the background, but I think here we are like, wow, yeah. that's not what you would think in a dark era that we have 500 and something companies hit unicorn and the majority, more than 50% in the United States, right? So, so, so that number is up all around the world not just here in the United States. So these big companies, I was just reading here, India set a record with 33 unicorns. That's massive. And the reason, mm -hmm. like, like, I don't think it's, if you actually look at it, it's really simple. This isn't rocket science figuring out why this is the case. The workplace became forced to be distributed. So now all of a sudden, if you are, if you have the funds raised in India and you're, and you're willing to pay Silicon Valley prices, you can get really good talent. It, it, you know, you know, you and I were talking to some folks who are, are work in another country, working with their financial world, and they're like, "Wow, oh, well, you know, a lot of our people go and work, and they work this, and they get, you know, they they're working for companies in America and in Europe, making their wages, but living here, so it's hard for local companies to recruit." Well, you know, then you need to find another country that has what you need that that isn't happening and then pull those people into your country you know so so it's these things of you know the number what was the number um 4.5 million workers last november the numbers just came out today 4.5 million workers quit their job in november it's a record okay <laughs> while being posted employers posted 10.6 million jobs yeah that's that's more than double with you already having a large group of people also not employed so yeah that means you probably have triple the amount of jobs out there than you do people right now yeah. so where does that go right this is how innovation happens 
there's going to be some innovation happen to where restaurants are going to be automated. And I, I just saw where people are going to like robots are making pizza, right? Or they're doing these things. Somebody somewhere that's going to happen because you got to continue to stay in business. So innovation happens and that's how these things, but doesn't mean it doesn't become more human. It doesn't mean that it's like, like yeah. so I'll give you an example. Somebody, I was talking to somebody and they were like, oh yeah, Domino's is testing out a, a, a mobile oven. So you make the pizza, you put it right. in there. Yeah. It cooks and knows the time that it needs to cook and the temperature it needs to cook to get to you, to deliver you fresh pizza. And they were mm -hmm. like, well, yeah, that's killing the delivery, delivery drivers. I said, let me ask you this. You think that that's going to cost people employment. I actually think it's going to create more jobs. They're like, no, no, you're not going to have any more drivers. You're not going to have any this. I was like, well, what happens when you get that pizza and it's not right? What are you going to do? Well, I'm going to pick up and call. So now they're going to have to increase customer experience and customer service. So now they're going to have to have more people answering the phones because the guy at the, at the, at the local shop doesn't know. Yeah. Yes, sir. Hey, we'll get that out to you. We'll rush that out. Like, we can't look at this as like a doomsday thing. And that's right. I think with so much that's happening out there in this experimentation, like you said, one size doesn't fit all. The bank can't make, you know, a remote bank that goes around and does that. I get that, right? So it's these things that, like, you just have to experiment. And I think that's going to be a big thing this year. Uh, we know it is. We know it is. So my question mm -hmm. How much does patience also have to play a role in that? Oh man, patience. We our patience has been stretched so thin right now. This is you know documented case of depression, anxiety, fear. Uh, as humans, we do not like the unknown. We just don't. And when we have a void of information, we assume the worst. Um, but here, here's some things I want to react to about what you just said, which I think is really important for us to land in the mm -hmm. outlook for 22. And your, your great example of the mobile ovens, mm -hmm. okay, for, for pizza delivery. We go back to the in evolution of the internet, and let's take a look at travel agents, right? Remember? Mm -hmm. The internet replaced travel agents, but it created probably 10x new jobs than were existing in the travel agent world. The rub is not all the travel agents took those new jobs, Right. And so this gets to what I think is going to increasingly be recognized in 22, and we will start to see an evolution of organizational focus beyond 22, which is I'm going to have to become a skill-building organization. I can't find the talent I need in the market. I can't find it fast enough. I can't get it and can't onboard it. I'm going to need to build it. And so, you know, what, what the if Domino's is, has got scale – they're going to say, okay, my drivers, what's the aptitude I need for customer service? What Correct. are the skills that a driver, you know, because it's probably pretty varied, what do they need and what can we do? Because it's going to be probably cheaper than unfilled customer service jobs for months and months for me to train. And someone's got 50%. This is another thing that I think is going to hit big. And then I can tell I'm already got you on the edge of your seat, which is, we are no longer going to see people recruiting someone that's got 80% of the skills needed in the job description. We're going to start to see the, the evolution of that spec be if you're 50%, hey, you're a viable candidate yeah. because I know I'm going to have to 
grow you somehow, some way. And very few fully qualified people uh, are, are going to find. So I'm going to have to change as an organization. I'm excited because I've always been in the development game, but that's a huge shift, Shane, you know, yeah. huge shift. And, and every business starting to realize our business today is not going to be the same business next year. Yeah. So are we always going to be able to recruit to keep, keep pace with that? No, we're going to have to become a skill building organization. So, so does Domino's even need, so, so who knows better? If I, if, 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 if I have a customer service that's dealing with automated delivery that we've automated, we, we've invested the money, it's at scale, we're doing it. Who knows better that experience and what could, what that actually feels like as a human better than the people who've been doing it, right? So now as I'm talking to somebody, why would I not rather that person who's delivered 17,000 pizzas in their career yeah. to answer the phone and say, yes, sir. Actually, let me look at the route. Okay. looks like, yeah. Um, I'll be honest with you. I used to drive. So, you know, it used to be like this and then, uh, so let's look at this. This is probably what happened. I see we've got some traffic right here. Let me get this and we'll get on the phone. We'll get one right out to you. We'll actually have uh, a person from the store, get it there ASAP. Like it, it's these things that right. With some that, cookies yes, and some other things to yes. ease your discomfort. So it's yeah. an experience. You talked about travel agents. When I was at your book launch, I met an awesome lady who was there, and she was telling me that she's made a career in a business out of being a very personalized, experiential, um, where, uh, where she helps people looking to go set up vacations in Italy. And, she specific, and then now she trains people that are helping people to do that. So she's monetized the training of what she does. Mm -hmm. and, and it's those things that just put us in a place of you got to experiment and you got to realize that you've, you've hit on this a lot. I think this is another really important part. You've said, and you can expound on it, that stop trying to solve solutions for right now in the middle of a pandemic as if this is... Um, Right. A moment in time. This right. is actually what we're heading to. You need to realize that this is going to be way more real life commonplace than it is. We're just going through something. Right. We say um, try to avoid situational thinking and yes. look at it yes. more yes. as, you know, systemic thinking or sustainable thinking. Right. Like, what can we learn now? Let me give an example. I feel like I may have covered this in, a, in an earlier episode. I, I don't know, but it's a great story from the from the LinkedIn days, which was we were just getting hammered with recruiting, and our biggest volume of recruiting was in sales one year, and uh, we were trying to hire hire salespeople to sell our recruiting product. Okay, and um, we we just couldn't find them fast enough, and the profile was so varied. We thought, let's build these people. So we decided to switch entirely to hiring salespeople because we didn't have a great track record of them being successful uh, consistently. And let's go see if we can get new grads and try something new. So easier to hire new grads than it is to hire experienced people, generally speaking. So we got these new grads from campus and we put them for their first three months, made them learn how to recruit. So they're using, to your point around the delivery people moving customer service who better to you know be able to address service issues than people who are dealing with what you're struggling with right so we had never had a lot of salespeople ever do recruiting before and we never had people using our product so guess what happened 
after about six months, I would say 25% of the people hired to do sales and started as recruiter fell in love with recruiting and stayed in recruiting and said, no, 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 no. I'm love this. Yeah. And so that was a pretty cool, unexpected surprise because it, and how we solved the recruiting problem. Uh, I mean, how we solved the sales recruiting salespeople also solved the recruiting problem. Yeah. You know, that's the kind of thinking that, and it was, I can't say that we were the, the sharpest knives in the drawer and they aren't we the smartest kids on the block because we figured that out, but it was necessity forced us to have to be created. That's the point that you made earlier. Like this, these hard times are really pushing our creative juices and innovative yeah. capabilities, right? Yeah. Yeah. Hard times. Uh, there's a quote going around and he talks about a story where this guy talked to this, um, this billionaire, we'll call him a billionaire. And he says, you know, um, I drive, um, I drive a Ferrari. My son drives a Mercedes. My grandson is probably going to not have a car and struggle. And I'm probably, I'm kind of paraphrasing it a little bit, but uh -huh. essentially what he's talking about is hard times create, um, uh, innovation, create success, but, but success creates soft people. So it's a cycle. Right. Yeah. So when we look at that cycle as a business, what happens in business? Right. Um, you know, I often talk a lot about myself, the struggle and the hard parts about me are what gave me the experience and gave me the knowledge to put myself in a position to be able to do the things that I get to do every day. A yeah. business like LinkedIn in the early days, even before you got there, when it's a startup and it's like it's like hard and gross and mm -hmm. difficult and not politically correct and not following the rules and breaking the rules and mm -hmm. not following all these things. And then we, you know, we get $600 million of funds and now we got money to do whatever and everybody's mm -hmm. eating good and everybody's got a real nice car. And times like right now, we're being forced to go back we're being forced to think you, you talk about it being a startup. I, I agree with that. It's, it's more entrepreneurship. And you talked about fixing a problem using the resources that you have now. You and I've talked about this a lot in our private conversations of if you're, if your marketing team is the best marketing team in your market, in your demographic, in your, whatever it is, if they're killing it, but you're struggling to hire people and staff people, yeah. Bring your marketing company into those meetings and sit down and say, Hey, help us fix this. What are we doing wrong? What would you do? It's worth a shot. You've yeah. already got those people there who, in, who, who, who intimately know your business. Yeah. You remind me of something I'm struggling with right now in, in my, in my thinking, which is a couple of articles I read this weekend around the frustration many parents have that their kids are falling behind in school. Okay. Falling behind. And part of me is thinking that's, that's flawed thinking right now. I think, yeah, and I'm I not do. comfortable enough to sort of really come out with it, but I guess I am since I'm bringing it up here, which is I'm like, hang on a second. The life experiences that our children are facing right now are phenomenal having to adjust, having to adapt, having to learn differently, having to see your parents work at home. We're not just seeing our kids work at home. Our kids are seeing us work at home and seeing the family dynamic shift, yeah. seeing cultural changes happen 
everywhere you are, having to wear masks, having to see how people handle that, not handle it, dealing with the vaccination, kids sharing certain families handling vaccination versus that is so powerful. I don't think you can even compare it to, oh, I'm falling behind in algebra or my grammar is slipping. Why are we even having that conversation? And by the way, the whole world's facing this. So who are they falling behind from? Yes. Some other generation that's older than them, that's not their peer group. So, their peer group is all going through this. So, and so, so why yeah, are we ahead. even having this conversation? So, so I'll shine a little bit of light on this. And maybe you haven't even thought about it this way. And I know you're a very humble dad and professional. Um, but I've, I've had the joy of meeting your family and spending time at your house and those things. Imagine what has happened. Because I also know you and I've been on speakerphone and the boys have been in the car. Right. They're picking up on conversations and picking up on bits of pieces of information from one of the top five people in the world. Like they're like they don't get like that does what they do. That's what you are. Like I'm not blowing smoke like the numbers and what says what it is like and, you know, argue with somebody else if you want to argue. But I, that's the case of where we're at. So they're getting to talk and understand and get a peek behind the curtain of what life is like and what your the knowledge that you're sharing and the conversations that we have they're picking up on all of this in a way where it's an education for them i know i know it's you and i've talked about it you've got a son who's got taken an interest in the stock market and you know these different things he's like dad he's coming to me like you're like what do you mean like okay like he's wearing you out mm -hmm. it's it's this evolution of Look, I'm going to be honest with you. I am not. I, I want to watch how I word this. I am not a huge fan of the one size fits all education system when it comes to higher education specifically. Mm -hmm. Typically because I think it creates a very um, stagnant and a very non-creative very safe environment, safe right, environment. Mm -hmm. Here's yep. what you're told. I'm 41. I'll age myself. I'll be 42 this year. I was told you go to high school, you get good grades. You'll be able to get into one of these good colleges. When you get to that college, you get good grades. You'll get a piece of paper after four years and paying this X amount of money. And then we'll get you a job making this. That's not, that's a very safe environment, right? So it creates like we were being gained on by a lot. I'll call the United States. We were being gained on by a lot of foreign non-American economies over the last 20 years. I think there's a lot, if we can figure out how to harness it, if we'll, if we'll tap into the people like yourself and these other people who've been a part of these really fast growing companies that have that have gone on to change the world it really has then we'll realize that we're creating innovators we're creating solutionists we're cre mm -hmm. we're creating people who i want to know how many i'd love to know this when i heard you say that i'd love to know how many kids have started helping out cooking dinner how many teenagers who never cooked previously before the before the pandemic now play a part in cooking dinner because they were home Mom and dad still had a video call and Zoom call, and it was, hey, it might have been very simple. I'm going to set this out, and here's the hamburger helper, and you make this, and you do this. 
-hmm. I'd love to know what that number, because I guarantee you it's a lot higher than what we probably realize. So to your point, we are creating a group of, I'm living proof that algebra two and above, you don't have to, like, you don't have to be a math whiz to be successful, right? Mm -hmm. I, I, nowhere that's going to be the case, right? Um, and you financially trust my judgment and where I'm at. So I think we're, we're in a good place, right? So I agree, I agree, you know, that I think, ah, I think that's what we're creating very resilient, tough minded. We're used to this world that you're not tough. You're not working hard in our generation. If you're not out swinging a hammer and out working in a factory or out busting your knuckles, mm -hmm. or, you know, you don't come in when the sun goes down and you leave when like, like working harder physically doesn't necessarily mean you're working smarter and you're getting more done. And I think right. that we're entering into a new era of that to where a lot of these kids realize I don't want to like, no, I'm not going to like, no, there's a better way to solve this problem. Yeah. And, and, and think about these kids and I want to carry this forward to using the kids as a metaphor for organizations, because yes. I think organizations you know, are starting to feel like, well, maybe we can't do this differently. We're seeing more creativity in how people are getting paid, more creativity in how jobs are being structured. That stuff, you couldn't touch that two years ago. And now, you know, we're seeing all kinds of new approaches, which I'm super excited about. Let, let me call out a, a, something that um, hit my radar recently. I don't know if you and I talked about this, but I definitely talked to my friends in Spain. Spain just passed uh, a quote-unquote startup law. Uh, here's a country that uh, ranked prior to this year 97th on the World Bank's ranking of ease of starting a new business. Okay, and in in Europe itself, they're they're one of the lowest in the world. They're really low, but they just changed the model of taxation so that if you can receive fifty thousand euros worth of stock options without paying tax, compared to what the prior limit was of, of 12,000 euros. That's massive. So they just went up about three and a half times just like that. And what that essentially, what you can translate that into is what we were talking about earlier, which is this is get out of jail free money. This is go experiment and you're not going to get hammered. This is a little bit of buffer because we're recognizing as a crusty, no disrespect because there's, there's, you know, if you spend any time in Spain, there's a lot of uh, you know, tradition and there's a lot of um, respect and care for their history. But the business leaders I know there who are forward thinking are very frustrated the uh, the slowness to change the tax law and the education systems to support a new economy. And the best thing that happened to them was 2008. They almost yeah. came to their knees and now they were, were an, only an import country and now they're more of an export country mm -hmm. and they're learning to be. And these hard times or when these shifts happen, and it's for me to see Spain do that, and then see countries like Portugal. Didn't Portugal pass a law um, around time of work can't be at yeah. home, right? Yeah, work-life balance, it, like more of a work-life balance law. Right, yeah. right. I don't know how you monitor that, but I like the the interest in let's try to keep the playing field so that people are still feeling inspired and so forth. So, I mean, this moment, this moment in time where we're facing different things. Is real. I I really feel optimistic, Shane, that that we're going to see some some cool stuff come out of it. Like I just said, the change in, in comp, yeah, that, that we've talked about in either uh, other episodes. That's 
the beginning of something really refreshing. We're also, by the way, and this is a whole nother huge uh, category we can go into, wages are going to grow more this year yeah. than in any one-year period since we've been looking at wages. Yep. And that's not a problem. No. Except no. if you've planned for no wage growth, yep. right? Yep. I, sat on, I sit on three boards right now. Two of the boards, uh, the board of directors w- pushed back on the company because they came in with a low-ball salary budget for the next year. We're just like, get that out of here. That is, we're not doing cost of living this year. Yeah. We're not in a cost of living year. Yeah. Forget the 3%. We need meaningful money. It's tough times right now. And we want to make sure the right people are getting rewarded meaningfully. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You were talking about Spain and some of the stuff that they changed. I looked it up while you were talking about it. Uh, so historically to start a company in the United Kingdom costs 70 pounds. In Spain, before they changed this law, it cost 5,000 euros to start a company. <laughs> so the other thing that they that they put in place is um, reducing yeah, – this is a bit of a buzzword if when you start dealing with um, um, uh, expats and international communities and stuff, uh, is bureaucracy, right? Mm-hmm. Bureaucracy slows things down. Portugal, it's a big thing expats talk about. It. It's just slower to get normal things that we get done quick. They get done slow. Um, so one of it is you no longer have, you can start a company completely online in Spain, much like you can do here mm-hmm. in, in a very streamlined process. So now you don't have to pay a notary. You don't have to pay a registry. You just go online, start a company and off you go. And I think that along with some of the tax deductions and investment money and those things, and, and we and so so essentially what you're saying, and, and I love how this relates to kids, because it's a way that I think so many people who listen to what, you know, what we do can relate to this of we talked about kids becoming more self-sufficient in this time. They have. Mm-hmm. I've got a 15 year old son. He does his own laundry. If you want mm-hmm. laundry done like we got enough things going on right now. You can do your own laundry. He does the dishes. Now they've started to cook some meals. They've, they're doing those things. I know it's not just happening in my house. So these things are becoming a thing. They're becoming more self-sufficient. Spain in 2008 had to become more self-sufficient internally, not just externally, right? So mm-hmm. this change causes us to look inward and say how it, it, it literally radiates from what you've talked about. Quit looking. You don't have a recruiting problem. That's not what you have. You got solutions sitting right inside the walls of your building. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and it's fixing that. So I, I don't I, like that. That can only be a positive thing. It can only yeah. be a positive And that's thing. shifting from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. It was a big part of my book. And it's probably going to be something worthy of a whole other book as, as my follow up, which is we have to, we have to think differently about talent going forward. And, um, and this is a real leadership moment. I mean, if there's ever been a leadership moment, it's now. Yep. And you've had your leadership test. You know, we, your employees would like to say that we've been watching how you've been handling the pandemic. It's the hardest thing that you faced in your working professional life, probably. And so now we know, you know, what if you've passed that test, now we're, we're excited to see how you can change how we continue to build value in a, in a longer term uncertain work environment. Because we're not going to hit stability right now. Um, but I, I think we're starting to see enough models of the same refrain you and I have been referring to for probably the last six months, which is we get a phone call. Hey, we're really struggling. Well, how are you struggling? Well, we can't hire, we can't keep people. 
Okay. How's the, how are the bottom lines looking? Oh, really good. Bottom lines looking really good. Okay. So how we define success and what that looks like, I think we're going to see some changes on that. Yep. You know, this whole notion yep. of, I feel, and and again, this is this is a this is a bit of a controversial terms, and my HR brothers and sisters will probably uh, start choking when I say it. But I don't think we should continue to measure employee engagement. I think that's uh, not something that's as meaningful as trust. Are you building trust? Because trust is the baseline that engagement's built upon, and trust, I think, is something that so important to you know building that equity in that relationship, so that people are going to be a positive force in your force in the universe, whether they work for you or whether they don't, you know, and, and that's not something where we've seen people be as intentional about, you know, it's like, Oh, we've got these managers. People really like them because they trust them. Well, have we been rewarding it, encouraging it, growing it, identifying it? No, it's all been sort of this murky engagement thing. I think there's too many things for, for people to feel crazy towards that are going to impact their engagement that you can't control right now. So I'm not even worried about it. I'm not, I'm not here to make you happy. I'm here to sort of help you get through this and make you better, you know? And, and I hope that derives you a, it lands you in a happy place, but there's too many things out of my control in your life at home and so forth that are going to contribute to that, that I cannot control. Um, which, which, so I think we're going to have to come up with some new measures of what organization success looks like. You know, and, one of and, the things and, I, you know, and, when we got started think, Jane, with this, uh, with, with this yeah. whole podcast series, one of the th- ideas I had, sorry, I just got excited. Really I don't want to lose this idea, but one of the ideas I had for our show was that every show or two, we pick a couple of companies and we're going to do them the work week after hours, you know, what kind of rating are you going to get as a, you know, a leadership team worthy of us sending our friends and family to recommend to work for you. And, and what have you done that's worthy of that? Because uh, I, I get asked that question all the time. Well, who are the companies that you're really excited about? And 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 I think they're looking for the shiny object. And sometimes by the time you recommend them, the leadership team's, team has changed and it's it's no longer the company that it was. But sure. Yeah. Just something I was thinking about. Yeah. So so you and I, you and I are both familiar um, with um, the culture of the All Blacks. So that's the rugby team in New Zealand. Right. And they are it's very very popular if you've read into any kind of leadership stuff that crosses over into sports you'll come across some of these stories about how you know they all clean the locker room they all you know they all play a part in leaving something better than when you found it and that is essentially the foundation of so the local people there are called modi people um I, i intimately know the country i feel like i'm probably if you ask a lot of people there they would tell you i'm honorary kiwi but um <laughs> That is the, a lot of their culture is leave it better than you found it, right? So I think that that is, if we want to talk about culture, we want to talk about all these different buzzwords that, you know, employers have been throwing around for years that you're the best at. Well, show me better than you tell me. So by showing me better than you tell me, if you show me that you leave the people who come and play a part in building what you're doing, when they leave you, they're better than when, you, you got them. Yep. Right. So that essentially is the culture of what we want to do and say like, Hey, I want to be a better person. Like when I go into a friendship, you and I started as a friendship, we didn't start as a business relationship or anything. It was like, and so I pick my friends based off of this is a person that I feel like is going to make me a better person. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it, maybe mm-hmm. it would be a surprise to some people. Maybe it wouldn't. You and I often talk about, 
about things that have nothing to do with work. It's yeah. about life and it's about parenting and it's about relationship stuff and helping our friends that are going through something or, you know, these different things. Yeah. I think how can we treat like that has to be a thing. I, you know, I, 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 I threw this out there. I don't know. In a side conversation we had a month or so back, it's like when, you know, when the whole better.com thing happened of like, Oh, we're going to speak negatively upon people who are leaving. And to me, that's a huge red flag, meaning mm -hmm. I think we're entering into a world that what do you gain by publicly devaluing a person who came and gave you all that they had, whether it was good enough for you or not, that's, that's okay. Mm -hmm. That can be debated. I'm okay with that, but they mm -hmm. gave you all that they had, even if they didn't, maybe it didn't mm -hmm. line up right. Maybe you didn't relay it properly in your interviews. Maybe your managers that they were working under suck. Like it, it, it's like, there's so many variables to somebody not working out in a company. Why can't we go and put you opt out? If you let me go, you give me an opportunity to opt into a network or to a database that you build and it's a website and I can go on and I'm a recruiter somewhere or I'm looking to hire and I can go look and in the last 14 days, these employees have left, you know, they left Google and I can go on and I want to reach out to them and contact them and try to hire them here. Yeah. And, and, and it's doing these things. I think like culture used to be like, like you said, the shiny objects or the nice amenities or these cool things, all that stuff's great. I think to some extent that stuff's never going to go anywhere, but what are you putting in place that when I do leave and I do depart this place that is going like, like I want to feel like you actually care about me. And that paradigm is shifting. And we've talked a lot about the future of work. I think remote work gets a lot of play. It gets a lot of buzzword stuff. Everybody's trying to figure it out. You talk about compensation. Mm -hmm. That's going to be some that that plays a factor in it. And not just how much we compensate someone, but I think you've phrased it as instead of add, instead of compensating someone for the value for the longer they're with you, compensate them for the value that they bring you. And mm -hmm. I think that's huge. I think that's yeah. huge. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm so happy and relieved to see more movement in that space. Yeah. Because uh, we just haven't had it uh, prior to these last two years. And I Is think it right for disruption? that area is maybe one of the ripest for disruption. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, and as I said, not only how, but what is considered, you know, rewards, uh, you know, things like time off was always important, but mental health is really important now. And, uh, we're going to have to reconcile this year in particular, I think this notion of what is it, what is a, what is a human, how much work can a human being really sustain uh, in a, in a healthy way. Um, and that's a tough question uh, because we've got a, a lot of folks who like, you know, gr grind it out and that's the only way you're going to thrive. Um, and some people really do thrive on that. Uh, I think it's got a short shelf life, but I think the, the recognition of the value of wellness moving from the, Hey, we've got an onsite gym. We're going to reimburse you to go to the 24 hour fitness to, it's much deeper and more valuable. And that's sort of a more of a community share. And to, you know, something you brought up earlier, which is I think candidates are expecting more from employers. Like you need to, 
you know, give me not just pay me, but give me a good environment, you know, give me good leadership. Show me that you make a difference in the world, in the community. Show me you have got a philanthropy strategy. Give me some transparency to how people are getting paid here and rewarded uh, and how much of our profits are going to, you know, help the community or reduce our carbon footprint and so forth. I think we're going to see movement um, in, in a really good direction this year because of all the pressure that empower that employees have, you know? So, so we talk about these pieces of the future of work that kind of make it all up into one. I think another one of those pieces is the, um, the entrepreneurship. I know it's sometimes referred to entrepreneurship, but it's still an mm -hmm. entrepreneurship piece. Um, yep. thinking about, we've got really smart people. We've got problems instead of we, like, not everybody's going to have money to just go throw at a problem. Maybe we should hire out and allow, maybe, maybe teachers should only teach four days a week. And then one day a week we have different teams and they come together and we just like, we just like, we just like try to run through and solve solutions. We find out what people are interested in. These people really like working in sports and academics and that crossover. How can we make this more efficient? How can we, and then like, instead of like thinking of this job as like this cookie cutter piece of it, how are, what are we willing to do. I think the other piece is the interview process. You you and mm -hmm. I have joked about this and 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 laughed about it, but I think we're entering I think maybe we're already here. I don't know. I think it'd be I'd love to talk to some people who are going through it. Are we now in a process where as a candidate now I'm going to start interviewing you. I'm going to mm -hmm. sit down and okay, Steve, you want me to come work here at LinkedIn, but um and I know you're saying I'm really important. I'd actually like to talk to your CEO. Is he around? Oh, well, um, you know, he's not, um, you know, I mean, it's not something we normally do. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, if the CEO doesn't have time for me to ask him a couple of questions, it's probably not the place for me. And we got to normalize that, right? Like that, mm -hmm. like if, if, if you're the leader, are, are you not the, are, are you not the person? Like if people want to ask you questions, like, how is that? Like, I don't want to talk to you, Steve. I'm not going to be working for you. Like, right. Yeah, well, I'm I'm probably the wrong person to ask because we turned the corner <laughs> and Silicon Valley turned the corner on this one for, yeah. for hiring software engineers. You already have to be doing that the last ten years. I mean, not always the straight line to the CEO because a lot of these people are too too afraid to speak to the CEO. Like sure. uh, you might you you're probably not Shane, but there's a lot of people <laughs> like mm, I don't I don't need that stress. Um, but but I think your point is well taken, which is power in the hands of of the employee, and yeah. You know, I've, I've said it before, we've said it on earlier episodes, which is this transition is going to accelerate this year of companies need to understand the journey of the candidate first before you start selling your journey on the candidate and helping them get to where they want to go, even if it is not with your company, as long as you might like based on traditional views of how the relationship used to work. Um, and you know, but but we're already seeing like, hey, I, I want to work these days. I want to work these hours. I want you know, I want to have this kind of cubicle. <laughs> you know, I want to have these sort of headphones, mm -hmm. noise canceling headphones. Yeah. Um. We talked about one uh, case we've seen where someone got an offer for a contractor or regular employee. Um. And we're seeing that I'm seeing that proliferate. Um. And and also the destigmatization of being a contractor or being a temp, more high quality staff is going independent. And that's going to force so much because the entire infrastructure 
of most economies are built on people working for somebody else, mm -hmm. having a paycheck, having a pension, a 401k match as the case in the US or RRSP in Canada, superannuation in Australia, et cetera, et cetera. It's all built around that. And we're going to have to start to untangle that. We saw in the beginning of uh, 2021, a new classification of employee in California was put on the table called Prop 22, which is a hybrid employee and gig worker. Uh, unfortunately, that was really driven by the healthcare policy um, and the fear of gig companies having to carry too high a quote burden to pay for the healthcare, which is a knock on the healthcare system. If the employee, if it's too expensive for an employer, maybe we need to look at the expense of these health plans for people. Um, you and I know the taste of that is is independent entrepreneurs. I mean, it's very expensive, you know, yes. and. To, to, to the extent that, you know, you did some research around the world and there's other countries that offer very, very different uh, areas of value in the same way that companies are going to have to do that. So, so, so that's what I want to, I want to, I want to maybe, I'm going to actually give an example of that because I think there's a lot of people who maybe are trying to decipher, maybe who will listen to this and say, well, yeah, you know, being a full-time employee, there's people who would like that security. Let me, let me peel back and give you one financial example of how being an independent freelancer, self-employed, whatever you want to call it, right? Um, there are certain tax benefits to me I get if I set my LLC up and register and, and we and we tax ourselves. We're still in LLC, but we tax ourselves as what's called an S-Corp. So one of those benefits are I can max out my self-employed 401k at $61,000 a year. And I can also max out my spouse on that employee 401k. Even if she has another job somewhere else, I can do that. It's, a, it's not a loophole. It's just, a, it's in the tax code. It's there. That's a, that's $60,000. If I'm an employee working at, we'll call it LinkedIn. And I'm going to make $400,000 a year and I'm working remote and I'm living in Kentucky. My expenses aren't super high. You're helping me accelerate my retirement. You're helping me. So by you allowing me to work as a contractor, you're allowing me. So why would I leave you? You're willing to help me do this. So I'm sharing with you. This is why. Now, I also think there it takes more community. Like this isn't I, I want to make sure this is clear, too these solutions won't only happen if it's only on the employer and leadership. It takes communication on right. the, the individual contributor on stating what you want, realizing that you have power. Now I would argue that it's creating a safe space to allow those uh, like that interview process this is where the interview process changes, right? Did you know if you were a freelancer, you have access to these things? I'm not a tax accountant. I can't tell you, but, you know, there's benefits and we want to make sure you understand those because we want to help you, right? That, that's Imagine telling that to someone who's trying to make that decision and them not realizing that. And they're like, oh, well, so, so that's $120,000 a year that goes into that, that I can choose to be tax deferred. Whoa, wait a second here. Now this is a game changer for me. And, mm -hmm. and that's where I talk about let's help people in this process let's like be an education source and you know fear i hate it i can't I, there's nothing i'm terrified of i'm there's I'm not a met, met another man on the planet that makes me uncomfortable 
So, uh, out, well, I won't get into that one, but, um, (laughs) outside of, um, so, so if we're going to operate off of fear of, well, yeah, but if I educate them, you know, they're just going to leave and go somewhere else. Like that's not leadership. That's like, that's like, if, if you're concerned, then you, they didn't really want to work there anyway. If that's right. if you know, you know what I'm saying? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's leader defense. Um, yeah, you're playing not, not to lose or cause you have to, I was on a, um, a call with a friend of mine earlier. She's CEO of a company and she's got a compliance training business. That's doing incredibly well. M train and Janine Yancey is her name and she's phenomenal. And what she a question I had for her is what percentage of your clients hire you to check a box and which of your clients hire you to help them get better? And she said, well, do you really want to know the answer to that one? Uh, and I said, well, I kind of knew the answer to that one, you know, and it's like, this is the whole deal where I think leaders have a real opportunity right now, which is don't play because you have to. You know, if you if people know now because the world is so true, they just know if you're not walking the talk, you're just talking the talk. They just know. And I think we're going to see um, more intolerance of of crap, you know, like that. Like I that's why I'm curious about better.com. Like, how is this gonna play out? Because if people just got their annual bonuses and they just the you know, the leader got exposed for who he was and the whole ecosystem that put him there and thought he was good. has all been exposed now. So what are you going to do? You're just going to sit on the gravy train, hoping that this is going to be a home run. And then we're out because what happened at Uber was the ugliness was revealed. And as soon as there were a liquidity event and the restrictions were lifted, you did not want to drop your keys at the exit. Cause you would have got trampled trying to find them. Like yeah. people were gone and you could almost set your clock on the LinkedIn you know, uh, talent insights tab. If you have the pro account and see, you can track attrition and you just almost see, okay, go public three month lockup. As soon as that comes off people, if the stock is doing well, they're out. Yeah. And that's not something to be proud of, you yeah. know, that that's, but we should start tracking that kind of stuff yeah. because it's the venture dollars that are behind it. You and I've talked about the ethics of investors. Mm-hmm. There, there's a whole ecosystems that are just breeding this, these negative outcomes that are just, they're continuing and, and it, we need to find a way to put an end to that. Yeah. And it's just, and it's just normalizing. A lot of it has a round to do with communication, right? I think that, I think that has a lot to do with um, more and more people now. I think more and more investors um, and we'll call them institutional and or individual investors, mm-hmm. meaning whether it's a fund or, you know, uh, Mark Cuban, for example, those people have brands and I think there's going to be a lot more questions again. And there should be, if there's not, I th- uh, if you're out there looking for a job, know that it is absolutely okay to ask who are your investors and can you give me a little bit of insight and bio on them? I want to know who these people are. I want to know what they've invested in. I want to know what their track record are. I want to know those things. And I think oftentimes those questions don't get asked because there's a level of uncomfortable like it used the job used to be i want to make sure i don't say any more than i have to because i don't want to screw this up and get this opportunity and i think we're just in a world right now where screw that shit like let's actually talk about like let's talk about the meat and potatoes of what's going on here 
Mm-hmm. If you actually think I'm valuable for your company, I got some questions. And mm-hmm. I don't know that you're the person that's going to be able to answer them all. And I understand that. But I hope that you're the person that can help me get the answers to all of them. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think a lot of people that are doing interviews, when that comes up, they're not going to know how to respond. They're not going to like, and, and that comes into realizing the future of work. This is part of it. This is part of that change. Right. Cause that old world thinking is like, Oh, we've got someone who's going to feel really entitled. They're going to be complaining about everything next candidate. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But no, you that means you actually care. Yeah. That means you actually care. So if I tick a box on things you care about, right. odds right. are you're going to give me more. You're going to work harder for me. You're going to see like, Hey, I'm not just here to tell you I'm going to work hard for you, right? Mm -hmm. I want you to see I'm going to work hard for you, right? Like it's not a thing of like, you know, whether even like, like, why are we giving a bonus when it's on schedule, right? Why not give a bonus when the person deserves it? Mm -hmm. Like uh, who cares when, you know, when it comes down? So I think there's just so many things that, and I'm, I'm pumped because some of the stuff we're working on is, you know, ways to kind of immerse this into the workplace and help with the leadership aspect of it. Yeah, uh, for sure. And I think that's worth talking about here a little bit, Shane, in that I think after you and I got started this past year, I think we're starting to see that our place is to try to unlock new ways of thinking, new ways of leading, new ways of building talent strategies that are really going to help you thrive and uh, help your organization improve in an uncertain world. And that's, I think we're, we're finding in the few countries that we've been testing this out in, there's a real hunger for that. Um, and I always get nervous when we start talking about really pushing the envelope uh, around things like me saying things like, Hey, I think next year you're going to hire more <laughs> on what people can learn than what they know. And they start going, Oh my God. Yeah. I totally agree with that. But my boss is not going to buy into that. I'm like, okay, well, do you believe it? Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about how we bring that to life and how you can help bring that to life in an organization. That's, it's not that they don't want to believe it. They're scared. They're scared because it could upset their power balance. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to actually say this, and this may not be a very popular opinion, but sometimes leaders, I would even say not sometimes, a lot of times leaders, they know they don't have all the answers, and it is a breath of fresh air for someone who works, we'll call it for them in the, and for context, comes to them with an amazing idea. That's like, ah, yeah, you, you know what? <sighs> you just saved my life. This is it. Mm-hmm. Like this, is, this is it. Like, like just because we're in a position, um, for the sports fans, I'll give you a really cool little story about this. So, um, the Harbaugh family, football family, we know all about them. So you got Jim Harbaugh who's the head coach at Michigan. Son, John Harbaugh is at, uh, the head coach of Baltimore Ravens dad, who is Jack Harbaugh was a longtime assistant. He was assistant for a guy named Bo Schimbeckler, legendary coach at Michigan. He spent some time in Michigan. Then he took over a program in my hometown called Western Kentucky university. Basketball school, one of the top 10 winningest Division I basketball schools historically still is mm-hmm. in the country. And um, they were going through a rough transition with the football program. At the time, they were considered what was one double A. Jim was the starting quarterback for Chicago Bears. 
Um, I, I happen to know the family. Their sister worked for my dad, babysat my brothers. And so I, I know the family. Mm -hmm. John at the time, who's the head coach of the Ravens, was an assistant coach at the University of Indiana. Jim is the head coach or the, the starting quarterback for Chicago Bears. He's going on vacation long before cell phones. So I-65 runs from Chicago all the way down to Florida. They're driving through, stop through in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He walks into the he walks in to surprise his dad in the coach's office and walks in and his dad, who's the head coach, who should have all the answers, right, is sitting there with his hands in his head. And he was like, Dad, what, like, what are you doing? He's like, son, we're done. We're done. Now, if you know anything about the family, he's raised them. They have these mantras of attack every day with, you know, an excitement, enthusiasm mm -hmm. unknown to mankind. Like, that's their thing. Right. So he was like, what do you mean we're done? We're hardballs. Like, we're not done. Like, no, like, tell me the problem. So he starts telling the problem. He's like, no, we're going to fix this. He goes out and gets his kids and wife out of the van. They ain't going on vacation. We're going to solve this problem. So we're going to stay here. We're going to figure this out. He says, well, why can't I be an assistant? Because they were essentially told the budget was cut. You have no, no paid assistant coaches. He was like, well, wait a second. He was like, why can't I be a coach? He's like, well, son, you're the head coach or you're the starting quarterback for the Bears. He's like, so? So they go to compliance. Compliance says, yeah, you can be a voluntary coach. Yeah, sure. No problem. He calls his brother up, who's an assistant in the end. He's like, I want the list of everybody you're recruiting just under just under everybody you're recruiting because you're the Big Ten. We're a we're one double A school. Mm -hmm. Want whatever. He's like, cool, no problem. So his son, again, it's solving the problems with the pieces that you have. And sometimes the leaders don't know those pieces exist. Now, as that story actually unfolds, one of the first people he reaches out to is a gentleman by the name of Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart was playing football at one of the top high schools in all of Florida. He comes in to recruit Willie. Willie goes on to win, which is essentially like the Heisman of one double A, goes on to be an assistant coach with him at Stanford and other places, went on to be the head coach at Western Kentucky and then Oregon, left Oregon to take over at Florida State still a division one head coach, these different things. So I know it's a, it's a story that's a bit random, but even this head coach who had these very successful sons, just like he just needed somebody to bring him an idea and they go on to win a, a national championship. Like he yeah. built the program back up. Like, like there's these, these situations that we don't know all the answers. There's oftentimes I call you and say, Hey, I, you know, I don't know. We're working on something right now. Like, hey, I'm struggling with this. I need to lean yeah. on you. I need some stuff. Right. Yeah. And and vice versa. And as a leader, sometimes we got to have that. Yeah, I got another great story like this. And it also I, it, it conjures up for me the need for us in hard times like this to really be more purposeful in pulling people's ideas and input, like really gathering it actively, uh, not passively. So I'm coaching my son who's 11. There's an NJB National Junior Basketball League uh, here in Silicon Valley. And we're, it's our first year. And I, my assistant coach and I, I didn't know each other before. We're, we're now like really good friends. His son was 13 and no, his son was 12. My son was 11. So I think it was like fifth and sixth grade was the, was the uh, league that we were in. And, and that's how they did the fifth and sixth graders were combined. And so we're in the championship of our game. And we've just been, we struggled a little bit early on and then we figured it out and we were just rolling. 
and we we're rolling because we had good, really good kids. And my friend had drafted the team because I was on a business trip. Um, but it was mainly like get my son's friend and get your son's friend. <laughs> and it wasn't really too much about skill, but we did have the number one pick who, t- who turned out to be, uh, he's now uh, a uh, one of the quarterbacks at University of Washington. So uh, I think he's low, low on the depth chart. Anyway, so we're playing this team. They've got this kid who's like 6'2". And at that age, you don't run into kids who are 6'2". And they're, that team had not lost a game. And they're, and we practice in the same gym as them. And they're always like, hey, this is our court. They're always big-timing big us. And we're like, wow, they're a really good team. And they're running it like a, you know army drills. And we're just like guys are throwing half-court shots at our practices. And we're just a little bit loose. So we, we go in like we're 8-2 and two, and they think they're 10-0. and 0. So we are down like six at halftime. And uh, so Mark, my friend Mark and I both go, I think we need to change it up. We're going to have to do something different. And we look to the kids and say, what do you guys think? And this one kid, Teddy, Teddy Purcell, who was the quarterback uh, at Washington, goes, I think we need to go box and one. So we're like, and he goes, and I want to cover the big guy. And he was, Teddy wasn't super tall, but he goes, I want to cover the big guy and we're going to do the, the box. And we're like, okay, let's try it. Well, that team had faced, you know, you know, two, one, two zone, two, three zone, and they faced man to man, but they never practiced for box and one. Mm-hmm. And yep. we frustrated them, but we went to the kids and said, what do you guys think? And yeah. Teddy's like, let's try a box and one. Or, yeah. or if that doesn't work, let's do a triangle and two. We'll just double team that tall guy because he's killing us. Yep. And that's what we did. And so the coaches yep. are looking at us like, what are you doing? You, That's illegal. Like, it's not illegal. <laughs> it's a defense. Yep. But yep. that sort of novel approach, turning to your your team and asking them, I think that's powerful leadership. You know, and it was, uh, we joke about it now but when we share that look at the trophy, but it's a great story. But you created an environment to where that was that was that was comfortable to do, and I think that's the biggest. That's where leaders, like you, can't expect everybody to come to you, so you have to create an environment and, and model that environment that allow that breeds that innovation that says, "Hey, yeah. no matter you just started here two weeks ago, like do you you have a solution? I'd love to hear it. I'd love <laughs> to like like right like, absolutely." And and I think that's that piece of it. Um, and, you know, there's so many things that, and, and I think I want to wrap it up kind of hitting on this. There's so many things that you, the other piece of future of work you've hit on is be, uh, work, work environments and companies and workplaces becoming more human. Mm-hmm. Okay. And a lot of people say they are, um, and then you look at their spreadsheets and you look at their financials and they invest the least amount of money in their people. Um, but they're going to up the marketing budget 30% and they're going to increase the CRM spend in sales and they're going to do these different things. And if you know, one of these things that I hear a lot that is becoming consumer driven is the experience of the consumer. We've got AR, we've got VR, we've got go to a movie theater and now my seat shakes when I go to the movie theater or it's 3D. I think we've got to in like that I think that has to come become a holistic piece to what is our experience of our employees? What are we investing in the employee experience? What are we investing in the onboarding experience? What are we investing in the recruiting experience? We were talking about sports if college sports recruiting programs can 
put a jersey with your name on it and a highlight reel, and we talk about this when we're recruiting you, does our ego get in the way of us doing that when we have the resources to help our people? If this person who's a critical hire that you know if you don't hire this person, it's going to take you another six months, and so much is going on, why would you not research this human being? I know I, I listened to Gary Vaynerchuk in my early days as an entrepreneur. He was Hexess. He was vlogging every day. And he told a story that he learned, and I carried this with me into how I rewarded my team. Mm -hmm. And and it so he tells a story about how he was working at his dad's wine store, and he knew, like, like he, he's very much like me. He has an intuition about people. He like you mm -hmm. you 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 pick it up. Well, this guy had ordered a case of wine, and he goes to one of his one of the employees there and says, "Hey." find out what you can about this person. I want to, I want to thank him for getting, buying this case of wine. And the guy was like kind of a jerk to him. Like it wasn't super great. And I'm probably missing pieces of the story here, but he finds out that he's a, he's a sports fan of a team. So like, again, and we can research now where we can find out anything you want to know about a person. If you just look on the internet and find out what they mm -hmm. like and you know, those different things. So he went and got a Jersey signed by one of the stars in the history of this team and had it sent to this customer. Never heard anything. Customer never said anything, nothing. And then like out of the blue one day, this customer shows up and orders like this astronomical order of like wine and spirits. He's having a party, but then went like, we're just going overboard and like, like not wanting a discount paying like extra, all this stuff. Right. And he's like, what? And they were like, why? We're like, well, somebody here sent me a, sent me a Jersey. And man, if you guys are willing to think enough about of us, like a little thing like that. So I translated that into, you know, uh, you know, celebrating when we would have a record month and I'd go buy, look, buy a couple three or four or $500 bottles of champagne. And most people would look and say, oh, well, why don't you take them out to dinner? Well, I can go out to dinner and spend $500. They're not going to remember that. They can probably go eat there individually on their own. But none of them, none of the people who were working with me at the time would have ever went out and paid $500 for a bottle of champagne. They probably seen it. Say, oh man, must be nice. They walk right by it when they're in the liquor store. Yeah, you know, yeah. they, so I was like, oh, let's celebrate. Let's get them. I want you to taste <laughs> a little bit of success. And, we, mm -hmm. and I'll never forget the first time we did it, we only had red solo cups. I forgot to get champagne glasses when I was there. Mm -hmm. And they were like, no, no, no. Like, let's drink it out of the red. So like, that's kind of the symbolism. Like, let's. So here we are drinking $500 bottle of champagne out of a red solo cup. And you're <laughs> going through. And then it got to be like a thing. Like I would go, we'd have a record month and I'd go buy a one of a kind, only 4,000 bottles of this vodka. Let's go try it. Like, we're not getting trashed. It's just the enjoyment of the craft of what that is to celebrate and to kind of take a moment and reflect and say our thank yous and appreciations and those kind of things. And what are we doing to invest in that employee experience while you're with me, before you're with me, after you're go gone? Yeah. Like, yeah. like that, I think that's another piece of that holistic new future of work that I'm so pumped that we're, we're maneuvering around. Yeah. And just to put a bow on that, I mean, I see, the world has forced us to get to know each other better. 
we just we've had this moment in time where we've all shared this crazy ride and we're continuing to share it and we need i know your family more i know you more no matter what you do um and that just adds i think the depth of trust and relationship equity that i hope that we really leverage going forward uh you know because we spend all these hours working and it's a shame if we don't you know feel like we're we're growing and and as you say the all blacks do like leaving people better than we found them people teams companies whatever families you know and uh yeah, I've got so many stories like the one you shared where just a tiny little thing. I wrote a whole a blog on this one time around two words that matter called good morning. And after mediating hundreds of employee manager disputes, uh, I basically wrote a story that said, you know, most of these disputes come down to blah, 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 blah. And they don't even say good morning. They don't acknowledge me as a human. And I get it, man. We got so many things to distract us, to worry us. But let's just take that two seconds to say good morning. And the power of that is just, you made an observation, Shane, when you were visiting here. You're like, man, when I walk around Kentucky, it was like, how are you doing? How are you doing? <laughs> All those people in Silicon Valley, it's like they are into their podcast. And no, there's not even eye contact. People just yeah. walk by. I went and for a walk. One of the reasons why yeah, it's, I, yeah, I'm I, getting I, weary of this area for that Yeah, I, I went for a walk to give context <laughs> what he's talking about. So, so uh, the area Steve lives in, I won't, I won't give your location, but very prominent area in silicon valley so i went for a walk i was steve was out doing some family stuff running an errand or something i was like i'm gonna go out and the weather was beautiful i'm gonna go get a walk well i'm six six for those people who don't know me i'm a big guy <laughs> got big shoulders i'm a bald head i got a beard I, I guess i can be an intimidating guy i'm very kind unless you force me not to be like i so mm -hmm. i went for a walk and i didn't know the area so i didn't have my headphones on i don't know the air you know people are dogs you know nothing i don't know i want to know if i'm getting surprised attacked by a pit bull somewhere <laughs> right so i was walking i was saying hi to everybody and no one was set like they're moving around me like they're like, walking no, no, I'm we thinking, don't do that here sir <laughs> i came back and i was like wow i said i can point it out the first difference and you're like what's that i was like man i said hi to about 14 people i said the cops are liable to show up you're like hey there's some <laughs> some some big guy walking around saying hi to everybody in the neighborhood but it yeah. was like that thing of like, it's just be more human. Let's yeah. just be more human. And I think it's safe to say, Steve, that people like, like you and I are saying this, realizing that we understand you may not know how to kickstart some of these things or solve some of these things. And I think that's the cool part about some of the stuff we're working on is to help reframe that thought process and spark mm -hmm. those ideas and put some of those uh, methodologies and things in place. And I think 20, yeah. 2022 is, I'm so pumped for this year. Yeah. Me too, brother. I'm, ex me too. I'm excited. I'm excited. Yeah, so happy new year to our audience. Thank you for following us last year. I mean, we are really just getting started here and uh, finding our groove and we're looking forward to delivering some really good content through throughout the year. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank everybody who tuned in, who listened in, who messaged in, uh, we're going to start doing some new stuff, and I need to actually put this at the first of the next episode. Um, Steve and I are actually going to be able to put a poll up on Spotify. So Spotify has some new features where we can put a poll up oh, and cool. ask a question and you give answers to and some different things. So um, I think we may start playing around with that a little bit and, you know, just to kind of engaging in a few things and that kind of stuff. So 
um yeah it's man another great episode and yeah. uh i'm ex- a great episode to kick the year off and really pumped uh for this journey we're on buddy all right well the work week after hours steve caddy and with shane howard we'll see you next time cheers